right, whenever you're ready to rock. It's not about races, just places, faces. Where your blood comes from is where your face is. I seen the bright get dollar. I'm not, I'm not gonna spend my life being the color. This is the wrong album. Huh? This is the wrong album for today. No, I think it's the right one. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the We're right literally one. talking about history today and you're playing dangerous. That's Yeah, history was a two disc album. You don't get to history without dangerous. You ain't lying. And that's why I said, at first I was just going to look at the 90s before my, you know, the 90s before 1995. But I was like, take it back a decade. His life drastically changed from 1985 to 1995. His life and career drastically changed in that decade. That's 100% correct. Well, let's go ahead and do the introduction. Let's not keep the children waiting. Welcome to another episode of the Black Jackson Estate. User one, are you there? User one is here. What's up, y'all? It's been a minute. Back like we never left. Facts and figures. User 1.5. Are you there? Hello, everybody. We are and the lovely, lovely user two user Dosi, uh, user de en Francais is in the building, and I'm turning off alarms right now. That means we're starting right on time. I had an eight fifty five alarm set, which means we're not on CP time today. We're ready to talk Ooh, about. Wait a minute, time out. Just take a moment. Let's give some claps to that. You know, we are normally really late sitting right on CP time. We're normally 30 to 45 minutes. We're normally on time for colored people. Yeah. And that's not no lie. So very proud of us today. Excited to talk about history. Um, It's been how many years since history, past, present and future came out? 25 years. Yeah. How old were we? I need to do math. I don't even know. Five, seven. Oh, 95. Yeah, definitely seven. You were seven. User 1.5 was. Wow. Uh, not seven. Wow. Um, <laughs> we weren't. We were talking about you. You said y'all. She said we. We so, and y'all. I'm so. My I don't. My you don't get to do that, Jermaine. You wow. don't get to eject and then in. You know. Yeah, push if y'all in. let Jermaine do it and it's okay, then surely two. 1. User one point five was yeah. nine. And so we'll just throw it out there to just move on with it. But yeah, we were babes. It was a good album, though. We knew that anyway. We knew. I remember my mama said, "Why he naked?" When they premiered, you were not alone. Yeah, she was, was really perplexed. Those world premieres, and he, she said, he got a perm. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Her commentary was just nothing to do with the legendary. Music. Legendary, it was nothing to do with the music. Yeah. If I remember anything from that history moment, it was hating everything about Lisa Marie Presley. Oh my God, she was next to my mans. I mean, at this point, I was a, an infatuated five year old that had made up her mind. Like Michael was the one. So imagine. Seven. I need you to not make yourself. I'm sorry, seven. Sorry, seven. sorry kids. Yeah, she pulled that Michael. <laughs> 
You know, I just, I just <laughs> Motown. <laughs> just did the Motown on y'all. Did okay, the Motown no. on them. Yeah. Uh, even, even more poignant. At seven, you know, you've already decided a lot of things about the direction in your life, and Michael was one of them. So, yeah, Lisa, that was really upsetting for me and my homegirls at the time. But um, we made it past that. You know what's funny? That wasn't even the case. We weren't fans like that. Like, we were fans in the very general sense because we had an older sister who obviously was a teenager of the 90s, and so Michael was in the mix. But we also had a mother who was a child of the Jackson 5 era, so she was recording the Oprah interviews and on her little VHS. I think she had, like, Beauty and the Beast before it. Yeah, or it was like she taped taped a lot of things. She taped over something. (laughs) So we don't know what it was. But that was one thing we stopped because she wanted to see it. So it was, you know, that world premiere was was real. We stopped to watch it, and she was disgusted. Yeah, Yeah, he was naked, and she was not happy. The world premiere was either the video and then the interview, or the I don't know which order it went in. But yeah, I remember watching that, and I just very distinctly, as a hairstylist, remember her saying that he had a perm, and (laughs) like she didn't have a perm. Like, what's the problem here? You got one too. Looking back, that was probably one of his better hairstyles. You know, that was that that was was a good look. Karen must never mind. She didn't do hair. She didn't make up. She was definitely involved with the makeup. It yeah. was starting to look a little clownish and everything, but that's that we're not even there yet. I didn't do a lot of research on how those videos dropped, but I know that obviously there was a world premiere for You Are Not Alone. I, you know, I don't, I don't remember how the rest of them rolled out, but I remember the world premiere for You Are Not Alone because. Lisa Marie Presley was going to be in it. So, of course, they they threw that out there. I I remember Scream Scream had, like, an MTV special. Yeah, but I think You Alive Alone was the only one that had, like, a multi-network Yeah, it was, like, BC, VH1, MTV. ABC, whatever. network Network TV. TV. Everybody was... We might need to know that before we just start... Tell them whatever. I'm going to look it up while we talk. Pull up up the Googles real quick. I'm still eating Cheetos Paws right now. But yeah, um, I'm excited to talk about this album. It's just, it's wonderful that it has had the longevity and the legs of relevancy that it has had. If only for two tracks, it has remained relevant. I would say maybe three tracks. It's remained very, very relevant even today to where Michael probably wasn't trying to. He was just being honest about his anger and frustration in his life. Created a Black anthem for liberation. He didn't even know it, probably, because he wasn't a really political artist. He tried to keep it in the middle. Like, he wanted to talk about things, but safely. And history was where he talked about things more, you know, not so safe, just being really honest you know, he paid the price for it, but he didn't know, he couldn't have known that 25 years later, Black Lives Matter and other groups for Black liberation would be using his song to talk about Black struggles across the world. So it's a dope album to talk about, period. You know, at this point, Michael was coming out of his dangerous era where he had an awesome deal um, was making huge money, was just starting up his own record label, um, had a, a couple different projects moving at the same time, including the Sonic the Hedgehog 3 soundtrack that I went and listened to today. Um, 
which went uncredited for reasons that we'll get into. Um, he was also working on some movie ventures. He wanted to buy some stake in Marvel, which would have been huge for T'Challa and them if Michael Jackson owned fucking Marvel. Um, but, um, you know, we we get into this this era where Michael is first impacted by these crazy allegations. He's subject uh, to an investigation, ultimately settles that and has to regroup. Um, at the end of the dangerous tour in Mexico City, Michael gets taken away to rehab to address his addiction to Demerol. And then he comes out a couple months later and, and jumps headfirst into the history project. So um, that, uh, the the culmination of those events is this double disc project that ultimately ended up being the best-selling double disc uh, project at that time. Uh, but it's also filled with him speaking directly about the ordeal that he had just gone through with uh, the investigation and the charges and the settlement that he was faced with. And you can feel all of that energy in the album. So like, what do you think about that point in his life? No, I mean, I, I did a, I, I did a little bit of reading and, you know, in that time period, um, you know, the question was, was he going to talk about what he had just gone through or not? It was kind of like this thing of, he can't avoid it. He can't act like he lives in Never Neverland. Like this happened to you. You can't just put your head in the sand and move on. On the other hand, how does that impact your art? He may have done what no one else has been able to do, which is skillfully intertwine your art and your life. Like he might be the purest musician, period, because that's hard to do. Um, and he's done it consistently. There are a lot of things that Michael lied about in his life, but the music and his art was never one of them. It's the reason why when he needed to record Lady in My Life, it needed to be dark. He needed to cut out the light so that he could be honest in that moment. And I think he's done that. And history was just a continuation of him being very honest. And he doesn't know how to lie through his art. Now, he can lie and get on TV and tell you he only had two touch-ups. Two. Okay. Only and he two. can get on here and tell you that, you know, um, you know, he can talk out of both sides of his mouth on certain issues that are trivial. Um, but when it came to the art, he just was unable to be dishonest. And I think that that served him well. And if he would have carried that over into real life when he had interviews and talked to people, it probably would have equally served him well. But he chose to take a path that was taught to him, which was to be evasive or just straight up lie. Um, or, you know what I mean? Do whatever to keep the mystique or to, to not reveal yourself. And he revealed himself. I think he did good. Um, I was ready. I told you I was ready to trash the album in a couple of ways. And I had to step back and say, no, I'm not ready to trash the album. I'm ready to trash the tour. And because the album is actually very, very, very good. Yeah. I love it. It, it, it's definitely in my top three Michael albums for real. Like scream is even though Michael did Janet wrong on the master version of her vocals. He had to turn her vocals down because she doesn't have as strong vocals. Well, we and I, I, we're not going to do that to Janet. Not doing not that. I love Janet. No, we're not do I that. love Janet. You don't get to I love but. You don't right. get to do I'm that. Gonna, I I'm love Janet, Jan. period. 
Janet's vocals are not as strong as Michael's. Okay, well, what the fuck that got to do with the song? I said yeah. what I said. Man, you're out of control. And let me tell you what. Let me, and let me tell you what. Every time I say something that's true about Janet, <laughs> I get attacked. And you know what? I'm used to We're it not attacking you. We're just saying that you don't get to talk about Janet today. That's I'm not talking saying. about her. All right. I love her. Uh-huh. There is no good excuse for Michael turning her damn vocals down. He needed to. We don't need all that. She didn't even give you that. It was a very strong What did she give you? What did she give you? Peek in the shadows. She gave you hard rock. That vocal cord was about to snap. No. Turn her down a little bit. Oh, my God. You do my baby so dirty. Lord, Demita. What he couldn't turn down was that dancer she did. Because she gave him lick for lick on that. And I don't know who won that one because she did the the thing. Let's keep it a buck. The first song on the album, because couldn't nothing else start it off. Okay, so boom. Fact number two. Janet gave you hard rock vocals. Michael Michael was shook and had to go back and re-record them. Facts. <laughs> and the song still, still goes off when Janet performs it to this day with Michael glowing on the screen behind her. Yes. Still, she, to this yes. day. Now, yes. he she a, can um, carry the whole song by herself now. That is a oh, whole lot. Okay, well, now, she does. She d- In the way that Michael did on the Dangerous Tour, yes, she does. I'm just, we ain't even there yet. All I'm saying is we have a drink in honor of History 25. It is Amen. a beautiful drink called History in the Mix. And we're going to give you all that recipe in the show notes. But let me tell you, it's History in the Mix slash Stranger in Moscow. Because that's how you're going to feel after you drink it. Mm-hmm. Like you're in another place. Yeah. And you don't know where you I'm are. I'm too in. And, you know, I'm, I feel like a stranger in Moscow right now. Standing in the rain. It's a great <laughs> drink. And I want y'all to mix it and then put history on the loudspeaker and listen to the whole thing. But when you get the stranger in Moscow, just turn it up and be quiet. Cause that's that's for you right now. In the moment. Great drink. Too much to take on. Mm-mm. So let's talk about let's talk about how we got to history. So if we back up a whole decade to kind of inform us to how we got now, it's a crazy 10 years. 1985, he was still riding the wave of a never before seen in modern history, never duplicated after success. And through that, he was able to um, expand on his um, love for people, children, philanthropy. He was really riding high. That's 1985. By the time we get to 1987, which is where he's ready to release a new album, things start to get a little rocky, not because of the music, but because of his personal life. This dude looks different. We know that at the time they were ready to, to release the album, when they went to print at Sony, they were like, what's, what, what, what is this? Because he looks so different. And they didn't know how the public would choose to consume or reject that. Um, And so his life started to change. And I think that change, starting about 1987, starts to mark how we truly get to history. Well, no, I think 85, too, because history starts to talk about issues he was facing after Thriller kind of really, truly blew, blew, blew up. He already was huge. 
But then that, you know, existence of being hounded by media and fans. Um, So history wasn't by accident, period. Like everyone focuses in on the allegations as the main thing that drove some of the anger on history. But I don't think that's true. I think it's a decade, it's a lifetime worth of, yeah, it's a lifetime's worth of anger and frustration at uh, everything. Yeah, I I think that's pretty fair. I mean, childhood is a direct indication of that. Like Michael, at that point, I think was starting to see the spectacle that his life became in a different life, in an, I'm sorry, in a different light. And may have kind of become nauseated with it and at the same time he didn't know how to stop like he was still very much uh making himself appear larger than life and so you know in this pre-social media world where folks get to see how real you are in the way that we're seeing Will and Jada's marriage uh, get picked apart in front of us, you know, Michael didn't have that same type of scrutiny because even when Oprah came into his house, it was on his terms. He had production credit, so on and so forth. And so, um, you know, you're talking about a phase in his life where he wanted to, to the benefits of being normal, quote unquote, but also was very much uh, regal in everything that he did. That The history promotion uh had two gigantic statues that were floated down rivers in Europe which seven there were seven there were seven I thought it was two seven I find it I you know and I know this was a different time in 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 there were seven of them there were seven I don't it's not that I don't think the white lady who did it did a good job but I think that a white person did the sculpting is informative of how Michael wanted to be perceived um Long what's term. the word uh phonetically is it oh. phonetic Mm-mm. that's definitely that's not, not it aesthetically aesthetically <laughs> <laughs> You off that drink for real. <laughs> I was like, what are we pronouncing it phonetically? What do phonetically? You mean? That's that's the way you pronounce. Yeah, you're right. That's the way you pronounce the word. Well, you know, um, like, like even what what Ashley was just saying about how, you know, or yeah, Ashley was just saying about, you know, how he had Oprah coming in and on his own terms and everything was kind of, you know, structured. That, I think, too, that harkens back to his love of, of like, like Elizabeth Taylor and old Hollywood and that Hollywood system because that's what the Hollywood studios did, right? They, t- they took their stars and they gave them an image and they were like, this is how you need to be when you are not in front of the camera. A lot of the old Hollywood stars were a hot mess as we know, behind the scenes, but in front of the camera, they looked like the star that they were supposed to be. And I think that, you know, everything you see with Michael, like Smooth Criminal, I mean, like all of that harkens back to that old Hollywood style. Even on the This Is It tour, he took that scene from Gilda and he, you know, does his <laughs> rendition <laughs> of the the scene when she's doing her, like they call it like the strip tease with clothes. Um, everything he did was kind of in that style. And so it makes sense that his interviews were like that. It makes sense that him talking to people was like that. 
But with Wait history, Michael loved glamorous white people. He did. I mean, now he listen, I do too. Like, I know you're really deep, deep into it. And the only reason I'm as knee deep as I can be into is because you are so into the like old Hollywood glamour. But he loved glamorous white people and they were beautiful. Yeah. But they and were oftentimes he, and, a hot mess. Look and they were, they were, they were, you know, they she were. She was married six times. Michael was beautiful too. Remember when he had those bouncing curls in 97? Can you get that? Is that picture? We need to put that in the show notes. Let's, let's, let's the bouncing curls. You know what I'm talking about? But see, no, I'm going to send it to you. Don't that worry. was a product of, you know, growing up in Gary, Indiana and, and, and bouncing curls. No, but what? the old, old glamorous white oh, people. Oh, yeah. That's all you saw on. TV, you didn't see people of color on TV unless they were servants or in some kind of subservient role or they were criminals or something like that. So, I mean, you have to remember, too, the era he grew up in um, and what he saw on TV. I mean, you know, my own mama said that she, you know, Kenny Rogers was her dude. That's all she grew up listening to was gospel and country, you know. Oh, yeah, that's beautiful. Them bangs. Look at them bangs. Um... <laughs> Ashley, she got to go. Did you send me? I'm sending it to you. I don't want to send it with her no more. I don't want to be it's here. It's so with her. bad. Why are you taking your bangs like that? Why are you taking your bangs? I was wondering. Oh, <laughs> this was the night he went out with Elizabeth Taylor. He, great. he was trying to look like Elizabeth Taylor that night. That contour on that nose. Ew. And then like, he did so much that day. Well, here I keep. I always try to remember that at this point, Michael had already microbladed his eyebrows. He was leaps and bounds ahead of the rest of us. Like girls get microbladed, like it's nothing. Now you do your four treatments, you good for another three to four years. You go back and get him touched back up. Michael was already microbladed. He already had his eyeliner tattooed on. Then he had already had this... He peach- added in this picture, though. He this did the... He already had a bit of the peachy lip um, <coughs> tattoo as well. And then, you know, he would add on whatever whatever pop he wanted that day. Some days he wanted a bright lip. Some days he wanted a nude lip. Uh, but yeah, this, this picture right here should definitely go in the show notes from 1997. It's a whole lot. He was beautiful though. I I mean, but you could see where he drew a lot from that sort of thirties, forties, fifties era. And and you're right. He, you didn't have on the other side, like the Oscar shows and the, all the other black creators of uh, that were trying to create black Hollywood, they weren't things that people were going to see. They were and let's just yeah. be real, so much of that got destroyed intentionally because it wasn't considered art or valuable, or historically valuable. So we have this small piece of black cinema and that's not what black people growing up in the 50s and 60s were consuming. They were consuming white cinema and white glamour and what it means to what it meant to be beautiful from a very 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 white standard which is why I don't I'm not down for people very harshly judging folks from that period you know our parents and grandparents like they didn't have what you have and they did the best with what they had and they also were being indoctrinated constantly about what it meant to be beautiful and yeah. so I mean Lena Horne could not get a gig where no she was oh, and a look at the gig she lead. got like the ones that she complained that if she was in a white movie uh it was easily she was oh, wait a minute tell movie. them why you all into this you just recently read her. I just read Lena's autobiography where she is so candid and um has 
made quarantine so much easier for me from some of the life lessons that she shared. But Lena's career kind of speaks to that moment where she could not get uh, a a number of roles as a leading lady because they wanted her to either pretend that she was a mixed woman, a mixed race woman, which she wasn't. She was black. She was just light skinned. Um, Or they wanted her to play Latin. And there were very few all black casts. So, but she was a, a beautiful woman and she was a dynamite singer. And so what MGM studios did was they would strategically place her in white movies to where it could, her scenes could be cut out once the movie was shipped to the South. Like they could literally take scissors to the film, cut her part out, put a piece of tape on it and it would keep rolling and you wouldn't notice it. And so it was very optional. And so, you know, when we get to Michael being born in 1958 and that's the type of cinema that has been circulating, you know, you, there were movies with black people, uh, but they were very, very limited. However, those same uh, musicals were being made um, with white people, the ones that black people were auditioning for. So um, that's what Michael was into. Uh, Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. We all know that was his vibe growing up because that was where you saw most of the dancing. I mean, Sammy Davis had a couple of movies as a kid as well, uh, but he didn't really get too much prominence until in uh, the late fifties, early sixties. And by then the Jackson five was on the road. So um, it's understandable that he was influenced by these, these white dancers and performers so much. Let's, but in the same, in the same breath, let me give a shout out to Sammy Davis Jr. Who was a child phenom the same way Michael was running the vaudeville acts, the Chitlin circuit. I mean, he was a kid, kid, like younger than Michael, if I'm not crazy doing these shows, like a real star. Yeah. He was a real, they thought he was a, uh, a grown man too, but it was like, no, he's a, kid well um, that was why have... sammy always made the jokes about yeah. michael being a 40 a year old midget because that's what they used to say to him yeah like michael there's a lot of parallels there maybe we'll do an, SM, uh, an episode one day but um user 1.5 was gonna say something about that whole hollywood saying she's deep in knee deep in just like you are um yeah i mean i'm really deep in and you know the the thing even talking about lena horn because i love miss lena and you know even looking at um you know, like Cabin in the Sky or something like that, like where it was an all black cast, but it was still very, very like coonish elements to the entire film um, because that's the, that's what they, they, that's what the producer saw in black. It's still white writers. It was very, very um, stylized and very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, stereotyped. Um, so even in that, somebody as great as Lena Horne, um, Rochester Ethel Anderson, Waters. um, F the Waters. Yeah, you mean you still have these little very- Joe, <laughs> yeah. little Joe, oh, you know, little Joe. Like, Can yeah. you insert that? Little <laughs> Joe. <laughs> But it was still very like, you know, you, you watch it and you're like, well, what did I just watch? You know, like, what was yeah. what was this? I mean, even in watching... It was good, though. But even in watching, like, Carmen Jones, I mean, yeah. Dorothy Dandridge and, and Harry Belafonte, who is, you know, one of the biggest Black stars of that era, like, even in watching them and Carmen Jones, you're like, well, what's the point? You know, so, you know, she's a, uh, you know, she, she complained that she was a Black whore and she didn't want to be seen that way so right. I mean these are the black 
stars that that Michael had to to kind of base things off of, and that compared to like an Elizabeth Taylor or Joan Crawford or, or you know some of the white Fred Astaire, um, it, it was a very big difference. Um, and as a little black kid growing up in the fifties and six, 40, 50s and sixties, like you gravitated towards those stars, you know. I also think Michael at that point had ascended to the point where one. Uh, all those folks were his friends now and they were older and part of history is him reflecting on the fact that this is what Hollywood does to people. And in a lot of ways, he's acknowledging that he sees the trend and that he is attempting to avoid that as much as he can. And he's pushing back at this point. He's, they've taken pictures of his genitals. Like, there are pictures of his genitals just floating around somebody's desk right now. And he would hop right back into going on tour as long as he could until it was pretty clear that he was self-medicating to get himself through that ordeal. So I think reflecting on it 25 years later, that is so dehumanizing. And somebody uh, pointed out to me, I think it was uh, my friend Maria, Maria, who was on previous episodes uh, when we talked about going to California Thinking about the the moment that we are in 2020, where we're examining treatment from the government, treatment by the police and federal authorities, Michael poured a lot of the energy of feeling hunted into this album, and it's, it's tangible, it's very clear. And the reason why he's trying to be so grand on that cover and with the statues is to kind of indicate that he wants to be unbreakable at that point. And, and, you know, that is a, a constant that sticks with him until, uh, until the very end. You know, uh, something that I like wrote down as we were talking earlier was, you know, would Michael be more accepted now, right? So we're talking mm-hmm. about this album um, coming out in the late 90s and, you know, things were still, we were watching Family Matters earlier today and we we're like, oh my gosh, everybody was so straight laced. You couldn't have a nose ring. You couldn't do, you know. Dang, the girl like, just wanted a nose ring. <laughs> you know. That's all she wanted. And in this world of Shout out to Laura Winslow. Of, of people world, being, You just want your nose pierced. She just wanted a nose ring and her mom was like uh-uh you know Harry Ma- about had a whole flip Max wanted to be a hairdresser and she was like and that she ain't said no that ain't no real job you know it was in oh we should do that for a uh, Halloween I'll go as Laura because she wanted to be a lawyer you can go as Max <sighs> anyway Ashley so, don't don't encourage isn't that her. a good idea don't do it don't do it don't do it I'm gonna get Ashley I'm on mute shaking my head <laughs> you can be Waldo Faldo <laughs> Everybody knows if I could be anybody, it would be Myra. If you want, oh, you know what? That's a good tribute. You can be Myra, but you know, like you in in this in this world that we're in now, in 2020, where people are more readily accepted for who they are, what they look, you know, it doesn't matter what you look like. If you came out a little brown boy and came through vitiligo and and came out light skin all of a sudden one day, you know, would Michael have been? more accepted in right now like would he would it have been more impactful now you know um and I think honestly I think the public would have accepted him a lot more readily in 2020 than they did in the late 90s because everything was still very you know you know, what's he doing why is he doing that was it you know with social media we put all your business out there in two seconds you know um <laughs> we are 
we are in a in a time where it doesn't matter what you really you know if people like your music they like your music um if they like you know your content they like your content no matter what foolishness you have going on it makes for good gossip but it doesn't matter. It's not going to affect your album sales or anything. The music went very pop, and then history took a turn back to off the wall. Well, sort of vibe, you know, with some pop mixed in, but some really, some really relatable elements to the community he's a part of. Because um, I'm thinking Biggie. So, so you got Biggie, you got Shaq. Shaq is on the album. Uh, you got Boys to Men. You got Boys to Men, who was like literally one of the biggest groups out, but is a black group out. And Michael had really kind of shunned this sort of collab from Thriller to Dangerous. And he came back. And so he did become more relatable to all of us at that point. But for some people, it was too late. Um, and I think it was like the accusations made him realize you are still for all intents and purposes, at the end of the day, you are still, and you know, if we're being real raw, how we say it, you still a nigga, you know, and you're not exempt. All the money in the world does not exempt you from these, you know, these sort of trials and tribulations because um, I was reading some of the reviews from the time and it was like, the, it was so out of pocket and and I hope somebody calls these people out. You know, does he have the right to talk about, about being black? It was so ridiculous. Um, and, you know, the, oh, he's an anti-Semite. Okay, you literally chose to ignore the entire song to focus on a verse that he explained and put a disclaimer out about, but you chose to ignore the whole song, which is about police brutality, the mistreatment of Black people in America and around the world, in the diaspora, how Black people are treated very differently by police and the system. And we are not cared for in this system. You chose to ignore that entire message. That's the message of the song. Because you want to focus on something that wasn't even happening. It's a distraction. And so I think you're right. Today, there would be some, there would be a different reception. I think some of the things that happened then would still happen now, but you wouldn't have people so brazen to say, oh, look at Michael Jackson. He's talking about issues in the black community. Really, Michael Jackson? I don't think you'll have those sort of comments. Um, but you would still have some, you know, you'd have some pushback from him because he was not, he was not a political artist really. Um, he took political actions that were safe, you know, uh, poverty and, you know, war, famine. That's safe. That's, that's pretty safe. I mean, it's safer than racism. Yeah, no, racism is like, they don't want to talk about that. I think that, I I think this was the book you would know. It wasn't Michael Jackson. It was a different book where they were like, Michael, they were fine with Michael so long as he was making them happy, dance, sing, Mm -hmm. kumbaya. But as soon as he started talking about hey, black people are facing some real struggles in this country. Nothing, a lot of things have not changed. As soon as he did that, it was sit down, know your place, shut up. We don't want to hear it. And that's what happened with history. And, you know, even though they don't care about us, which is one of my favorite songs, like one of my favorite Michael Jackson songs, right? Um, that The fact that he had to shoot two videos, right? The first one was literally talking about police brutality um, in the jail, you know, the 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 fact that the system overwhelmingly has African-American males um, in it, right? The whole video is incredibly powerful. You have footage of the Rodney King beating in it. Like, you know, to go from that to, um, you know, we're in Brazil, 
right? With these bright colors on. And it was still an amazing message, right? Oladum, the shirt that he had on, they're a political, uh, an Afro-Brazilian uh, co- political group that was for equality. But, you know, if you didn't do the research, you didn't know that, right? It was very, very lighthearted compared to the jail video. Um, and I think that that says a lot about what people were willing to accept, um, from their artists at that time, because you think about, uh, they don't care about us. It's still a very copy beat behind it. You know, if you're not really listening to the lyrics, you really don't know what he's talking about. You just know that you want to get up and dance and it it makes you want to move, but if you dig a little deeper, you realize, and, and I don't think it was just, a, I mean, I know the song is about police brutality, but I think he also was was in some way struggling with with being an artist and, and the whole, um, you know, Sony and that whole structure, you know, they don't care about us. They wanted him to produce music and to do it well and to make them money. And that was it. Um, and I don't, oh, wait, wait a minute. They gave that dude $30 million. They, they gave him a lot of money. They did. And they that listen, a little bit more than that. Yeah, I mean, no, he made them a lot of money, but he also was an accused pedophile at this point, and they still poured into old dude over 30, uh, an accused black pedophile of white boys. They still poured into, and I mean, it's a it's an economic decision, and of course, I think they knew that the drama, even the drama breeds a level of attention, but let me go back. Because because I think there's a, there's some places to really ping Sony, but they put seven statues out across Europe and uh, thirty know, million dollars. Kudos to them for that. Because that's a lie. Um, like, that's a good idea. What's the part? There's a book where Michael goes. Well, why can't I have a, a, a allegedly? He says, "Why can't I have a statue? Y'all got statues of that lady all around your country." And the dude was like, "Cool," and he was like, "The queen." So he felt like you know the queen can have. I mean, let's be clear: the queen hasn't made any motherfucking bops. The queen has a moonwalk. <laughs> the queen barely gives back to charity. So it Ooh. thinking about it 25 Which years queen? later. Let's talk about, the queen. Let's talk about it 25 years later. Michael was friends with Princess Diana and he already knew the fuck shit that Meghan Markle just found out in the last 18 months. But Megan ain't for it. She's like, I'm so what I won't be doing is sitting here being quiet about it. But time out, let me go back because you start talking about these music videos. And I have to stop to give a really strong shout out to Spike Lee because Michael's, even Michael's wokeness, I'm sure, was enhanced. Because Spike said, hey, let's do this. And hey, do you know about this? And hey, have you heard of this people? And hey, have you, you know? And so that started a relationship that, thank God, it started. Because even today, Michael's legacy is is still being held up strong because of Spike Lee's work post-Michael's death. So thank God. he Michael says that Spike Lee came to him, and that's probably true. I don't care who went to who. Just I'm glad it happened because without Spike Lee... They Don't Care About Us is not a Black Liberation album, uh, anthem today without Spike Lee. Spike Lee yeah. was not scared to be censored. He yeah. has had multiple movies, at least one I know, Boomerang. They, they refused to show it. They would not release it because he makes such strong messages that white people are uncomfortable with. I love Tyler Perry. Anybody knows me knows I don't tolerate You a mean lot of, Bamboozled? What did I call it? You just said boomerang, which is that ain't even spite. That's not. That's all right. That's I meant bamboozle. 
<laughs> bamboozle, which they would not put in the theaters because of the message inside of that movie. Now, I love Tyler Perry. I don't I tolerate a whole lot of flim flim about Tyler, but there's a reason why there's nothing he can't do that will make it to the big screen. It's non-threatening. It's actually disarming. And it makes white people comfortable. It doesn't make them self-examine the way Spike does or say to them, you know, you're wrong. So bringing on Spike Lee at this point, he had already done what Malcolm X, he had done Crooklyn, he had done um, Do the Right Thing, Mm -hmm. Clockers. I mean, he already had a serious body of black work. And they were mad about that thing. Yeah, they don't care about us really hits right now. Like it hits on another level. And again, I think people have a real opportunity to examine this album 25 years later and put it all into perspective because a lot of us, even fans, thought that it, I don't think we could have understood at that time just how dehumanizing that moment was because the media had painted the picture as if he got his way on a lot of things. And and that wasn't wrong. Like going back to the police brutality that he faced and them uh, demanding to take pictures of his genitalia, which I cannot, like I've, it's always been upsetting to say that out loud, but in 2020, it it makes me furious. And then to know that the descriptions were nowhere near what they found and he just had to get up and honor his contract and and make another hit for Sony that's a lot that was a th- that was what two three year turnaround to try and make something massive and creative and so you know I can see why Michael said you know what fuck it if it's 50 50 million uh y'all know I'm worth it I'm worth twice as much which is a fact he was worth it. He was absolutely worth People it. Even seven damn statues moment. floating down the rivers in Europe, then why not? Them, yeah. You can still go find most of them statues. Now, I know they took a couple of them down, but I bet you they didn't destroy them. I'll tell you well, that. They got they got sold off to different people and places. Like, there's one, I think, in Vegas. Which is uh, very appropriate. Very appropriate. I think there's <laughs> one in Vegas. There's one in, like, some country that is just not on my immediate radar. Like, somebody bought it. People bought the statues. And Michael knew what the fuck he was doing. It, yeah. the, the more I study history and think about uh, what Michael was trying to do with this little black man, little black boy grew up to try and do as a grown ass man. It's pretty phenomenal. Be- Let me ask y'all this. Why didn't he ask Jermaine to do a, a duet? Why are we talking album? about Jermaine? We, What's see, next on the agenda? We can't go one episode without talking about Jermaine. We don't have to do Jermaine and I'm not going to let it happen. But wait a minute, can somebody answer my question? We gotta talk about Earth Song next. Nobody, nobody care. Nobody care. Nobody care. We just talked to, we just did pretty good on They Don't Care About Us. I think we should talk about the Scream video. I mean, I was just curious because I forgot that they got the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 97, which is around this whole Ain't nobody talking about Jermaine. You want to stay talking about Jermaine. Let's talk about the single. So the single, there were six singles released from this album. Wonderful artists. Um, I think there were seven. the, The singles were Scream, You Are Not Alone. Earth Song, this time around, was released as a radio-only single, um, and that's the one with Biggie on it. 
Um, they don't care about us and Stranger in Moscow. Did I miss one? And I know my nigga Mike like that, baby. Why, why would I want to talk about Jermaine? It's a problem. <laughs> as Midway. a fan, as a clear fan of Jermaine, Luan Jackson. Luan. <laughs> I demand, I demand that we talk about the song Scream. Okay. Scream. Is it is scream? Uh, can we say scream? Is is scream the what's the best song on the album? Is it scream? I think so. Oh, I see, need to think about it. I reserve that. About us yeah, like, that's such a, that's a okay. So so oh. let's everybody do your top three, it's and I'll be happy. Those two are to definitely go. there. Yeah, those two are definitely there. Uh, it, this is really difficult to do your top three songs on it this. Is. Track list because it's a good album. It's a it's a really really good album. Scream. Um. So scream is is definitely one of the best songs on the album. I mean, it comes. Out Why? Like Why is it so great? So first of all, let's talk about how scream at that time the music video was one of, was the most expensive music video ever produced. Um. It had this very futuristic, almost like. Japanese, what's the Japanese cartoons called? Like the anime, anime feels it's still anime. the most expensive music video. I wanna, it's I wanna be clear. too. The rent is too damn high on it screen. Like the, the, the video, video was like the perfect time for Jan and Michael to come together and do something. And I know that you know up until that point, people were like, Janet, when are you gonna do something with your brother? When are you gonna do it? Because I'm. A, 99% sure that Michael just didn't even address it, that question. But, you know, it was like the perfect time. Janet was doing really well um, with her solo career. She was already establishing herself. But Scream is just the, first of all, the lyrics alone are amazing. Um, I think that and anybody who's ever worked anywhere where you would just like, you know, stop, you know, stop pressuring me. <laughs> like, why you make me want to scream? That just applies across every facet of life, really. I know that they both had on knee pads. However. Right. How the fuck, even if your knees hit, like, the knee pads are so that your knees don't crack into 50,000 pieces, right? Okay, cool. We got that established. How the fuck do your knees slap the floor and you hop right back up immediately? I got to give Janet a whole lot of props because she had that ass to take into account and Michael didn't. I've listened to Scream on... uh many different types of audio devices, but I intentionally listened as we were re-examining the album on my beats and the uh, the bounce from uh, ear to ear on screen is just sonically really dope. Um, the, the beginning where the bass uh, just gives you like that raw, like we just plug the shit in uh, sound it's just sonically it was it's just really pleasing to listen to it, it gives you a very y2k feel still again the most expensive music video of all time and the next uh most expensive video is nowhere near it the most expensive at 11 million seven hundred forty five thousand dollars and uh 
the second most expensive is eight million, and that video came out in two thousand and two. So you guys, you're not gonna get anywhere here. I'm not even and right. You need to uh, you need have to adjust that cost for inflation. But let me that's the you, adjusted like, cost. That's the that's adjusted, adjusted cost. cost. I will say this: um, very expensive, but Michael's investments always returned. Well, let's talk about Earth Song. That's the next video on the list, and. I think Earth Song was real good drama. I think all of these short films gave us real good juicy drama. Like, um, I Earth Song is is in my top three. Um, it's one of the best songs. It has a it, it, even however you feel about Michael. His that was the beauty, I guess, of him. He could take you beyond how you felt about him to come to a place of saying, "Well, we both feel the same way about this thing." And I'm going to put you off to the side to acknowledge how great you did in explaining this thing. And if I'm not mistaken, Earth Song ended up winning an award for animal sensitivity, yeah, a Genesis Award uh, for animal sensitivity. So it was not a song that went unnoticed in a lot of arenas. And I know that if it can win that sort of award, which I think might've been the first award Michael won that was like that about animals. Mm -hmm. Um, that says that it really did. It did its job. Childhood was Michael's plea for therapy. And he did not get it. And he truly, he did not get it. He was commercially successful in his plea for therapy, but not personally. He needed to talk to someone. He needed to be able to trust someone to talk to. But that song right there is like the most glaring, I need help. Mm -hmm. I think um, what you find in childhood is uh, Michael's reluctance to move on. And this is where it gets problematic. This is where it gets problematic because it's very self-centered. But of course, it's his album. So, you you know, he's being reflective on the things that are poignant to him at that point in time. It's it's. I'm glad he, he wrote it. I'm glad he shared it with us. I think uh, paired with the artwork, of him drawing himself in a corner with a microphone, which is, I mean, he really didn't need to go to therapy. But again, he grew up in a toxic work environment where your boss uh, is more than a mentor, but you stay at his house sometimes. Uh, you know, when, you're, when your family is split up on two different parts in the, of the country, you're staying at his house, and now all of a sudden, uh, your brother's married into the family, and now all of a sudden, uh, your boss's uh, grandchildren are your nieces and nephews. It's a weird environment. It's a little weird. For, and that's your workspace. That's where you go. Like, people forget uh, that cute little picture of Michael's ID card for work. Michael had an ID oh, card okay. to clock in to. <laughs> Everybody Let him in. He's Listen. one of us. He's a little one. He's he's one of us. Let him I, in. And and what you what you can get out of it twenty five years later is that everybody has to clock in, right? And in That's twenty word. in in, in, in twenty twenty, we reflect on capitalism in a different way. We look at. Uh, how much we sacrifice to make sure that our needs are met 
And in childhood, Michael digs into this and says, hey, listen, I was feeding my whole family. And as you know, it's a lot of them. And we climbed out the bottom. And while that's great, I sacrificed a lot. And it is manifesting itself in my adulthood in ways that I just need y'all to know that one, y'all did this to me. And two, I'm not going to let you forget it. Have you seen my motherfucking childhood? You absolutely have. I was the little nigga with the, I was the little nigga with the Afro doing the robot. You know exactly who I am. I was, I was a cartoon that came on your TV every Saturday. You know who I am. So you can look at me and say that I've altered my appearance and it's true that I have changed. I've also grown the fuck up and taken control of my life. And y'all, you, the audience, you, uh, the, the uh, business of music, you, uh, the religion that he grew up in, he's saying to all uh, to, to us to examine all of these things and consider his circumstances. And 25 years later, we can look at it and say, yes, that was a cry for help. Yes, Michael indeed suffered extreme duress from a very young age. Yes, he needed to take a moment to breathe. And he wasn't really afforded that. He had contractual obligations. So just like uh, COVID don't stop rent and mortgages from being due, Michael had to get to work. And coming out of an investigation where he suffered an obscure type of police brutality, the song had manifested itself in that way where he's dressed up like Kanye West, covered in dirt in a boat in the sky. Um, when he says, um, before you judge me, try hard to love me. If he said nothing else, that is the word of life. You know, before we really try to um, pass judgment on people, um, have we first tried to walk a mile in their shoes? Have we tried to love them? Have we tried to understand them? And that's what he was asking for. He wasn't perfect. He didn't dot all his I's and cross all his T's. And that's very clear. Uh, cue the baby dangling. You know, like we know he did things that were... Uh, not okay, but don't we all? But we get to kind of keep going on with our life and not have people put it under a microscope and go, let me examine all your mistakes. Let me examine all your missteps. And to me, if we take away the, the I don't like the childhood video. I, I think the song is overall a cry for help. But that one line mm -hmm. is the most honest and relatable one of the most relatable lines Can't that he's remember. ever written yeah. yeah you know before you really try to tell me about myself have you tried to love me do do i i think it might have been nice for michael to explore his married life on the album i don't because, think he had time to well he did he said i have a wife and two children who, who love me. me so who love me <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, I mean, he also had a second wife in the same time period. Right, so there's right. that. I never could determine sure, which one he was talking was, about. You know, he was. <laughs> I know he was talking about Lisa, but the timeline and when it actually came out, a little messy, doesn't it? Yeah. And we were seven, so between seven and nine, I was like, "Oh well, he really spoke those children into existence, huh?" Yeah, Debbie came along strong. When he told Lisa, you can do this or get ghost. One day we're going to have a Michael the Misogynist episode and I'm going to drag Michael Jackson. So all you Michael Jackson fans. They're going to hate you that day. I am a Michael Jackson fan too. Let's be clear. I am a member of the Black Jackson estate, but I'm going to drag your fave, okay? Because when any man that tells a woman, you can have my babies or Debbie will do it, deserves to be dragged. He needed his ass whipped. And let me tell you something. I'm not a big fan of, I'm not a fan at all of domestic abuse. But what you're not going to do is play in my face. And Michael was very much disrespectful. But... On Stranger in Moscow, in that vibe, he wasn't even, you couldn't even tell he was in a relationship. It was like, he was out floating in the world alone, which is true. And then boom, you're not alone video with the perm. And it was the best hair. Like, I really wanted Michael to keep that hair forever. I did. That bob. It was a good hair. It was a good nose. It was everything, like, this was actually a really good look from Michael. Why but did he insist on being naked with that bird chest? Hmm. 25 years later, if Michael Joseph was sitting in front of me right now, Michael. You look great, though. You are 120 pounds, maybe. He had them wings. He had them wings I think Marie was thicker than he was. The right. wings weighed good. more than he did. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she yeah. was. I mean, she was. She she was a little thickums in that. But um, now compare know. that. Compare that to what we got in the closet. M- Michael gave us a strong arm. Okay, he wasn't a bodybuilder. Yeah, no, but it was defined. He gave us a nice strong arm, and then we get to you're not alone, and so, this that little belly button. The way that little oh, belly button had that out, out with that lace. This man had on a lace. So what video could we have done without? We could have we could have done without that one. That is the one. Um Ooh. honestly, if I had to choose between that and childhood, I would say childhood. But um, you would keep childhood? No, I would get it out of here. Oh, oh yeah, okay. I, I agree. Okay. Yeah, okay. I, I think childhood would have to go. Totally. Yeah, I was Shaquille O'Neal slam dunk that one into the garbage. <laughs> <Childhood>. <laughs> well, I think we hit all the singles. Oh, yeah. Except for um this time around, but that was a radio only. Thing. What's what's the one song that didn't have a video that should have had a video instead of childhood? Money is so good. Where again, twenty five years later, in this moment where we're realizing capitalism is problematic. If you got to go to work, you should be unionized or able to collaborate with the people that you work with for better conditions. You deserve to be safe. You deserve health care. You deserve to get home safely to your family. Uh, You deserve fair wages. All of these things. Money is such tea to the process because what Michael is telling you 
He's coming out of this settlement that he didn't want to give. And he's saying, I peep the people around me. Like, I know it's a lot of yes men around me. I think this was maybe one of the few moments where he was being a bit introspective and knew what what, uh, the situation was. I think he was a non-confrontational guy, which is a characteristic of white supremacy being very evident in your life when you can't root that out, where you're afraid to confront things for your own well-being. I think money was his way of saying, I peep what's going on. Y'all are after the bag and y'all are really going to try to take me down to do it. You're going to use the police. You're going to use the FBI. uh, You're going to come and raid my home. You're going to corrupt the people that are around me. You're going to get my brother to turn his back on me. My sister's going to betray me. Money will get anybody to betray you. And 25 years later, we know a lot of those people were solely influenced by money. Some of, the, some of them against their will, some of them with their backs against the wall. And that's a constant theme in Michael's life where people saw an ATM. So I think what you see in him doing a song like Money and a song like DS which is clearly about Tom Snedden. Like, he, he it, 25 years later, I think he would have named it Tom Snedden. I don't think he would have named it DS. Tom Snedden was a corrupt yeah. prosecutor who clearly had a very clear and delineated, we could trace it, vendetta against a particular individual for years. Let's not act like in the song, Michael didn't clearly say Thomas Snedden is a cold man. We're not going to pretend like we didn't hear that, okay? Now, he might have hit it with a couple of little, you know, little good It was a subtle T, but I never got Dom out of it. Like, do y'all... It never was Dom. It never was... He named... I heard Dom. Okay. You heard Dom. Just I heard what I what I think okay. when I was I heard Tom. <laughs> I feel Tom. like there are some mixes where he may have like dubbed over it and maybe he may have that he I said think he said both throughout that whole song throughout that whole. I heard Tom. Dom Sheldon, right? Or so, right? Snedden. And I heard Tom Snedden clear as motherfucking day. Ah, let me okay. just pull that up. Right? That's the words, okay. right? Is Thomas? Is he the brother with the FBI? Thomas. Is he the brother to the FBI? That is the realest line because we know yeah. that the FBI. And man, y'all know he was talking about Tom, and he said Tom's name multiple times. You know why he talk about that man, Mama, like that? I think that's why Tom was so mad in that two thousand and three interview. He said, "I know that man did not." I'm trying to listen to the. the, the, the. I heard, I heard Tom. Hold on. I heard Tom. He 
but the D and the T sound are very similar okay. here. Wow. Okay. And okay. I, it is, and that's why he put uh, right. That was the whole point. So think, well, I mean, maybe that's the whole point. He was supposed. You were supposed to hear both, so that it was not distinguishable. Right. Isn't that called an anagram or something like that? And it was called. I don't no. want to get sued yeah, by Tom Snedden for defamation. No. You know, Sony said, change it. Right. You can't say that man's name. And he went ahead talking about, Tom Snedden is a cold yeah, man. Slash, Slash did a good job playing that guitar in the background. So, you know, you really couldn't tell, um, you know, whether it was Dom, Tom, so it don't make a difference. It was, it was, he said, I know. bet his mother never taught him right anyway. <laughs> and I said, Michael. His mom was a Karen. Michael mom. was a visionary. <laughs> Michael's mom was a Karen. Michael knew what a Karen was. Wow, you guys, we're moving way too fast. This is episode 11. Why don't you come back? Join us for 11.5. We're going to break this into a two-part journey and take our time with exploring history. In the meantime, the recipe for the drink history in the mix is in the show notes. Pour some out. It's Michael's birthday when we're giving you this episode. So, Michael, happy birthday. And we'll see you in episode 11.5 on the Black Jackson Estate. Stay up. We'll see you soon.